millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. 
future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. We do that um, so that everyone has a chance to say what they need to say in support of their respective positions. Um, I don't know which of the defendants wants to start. Mr. Gallen, I think you wanted to start. That's correct, Your Honor. Mr. Morgan and I had conferred, and uh, and if it's okay with the court, the secretary would like to go first. Uh, that's fine. So I'll uh, because this is your uh, both of your motions. I- Hey, guys, real quick, I just want to let you know, there's been a little bit of a misinformation put out there. X-22 and some other channels, they posted um, the fact that there's going to be a hearing regarding Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake's uh, motion to dismiss. So I, I, I actually looked at it, the case number, and it appears there was a miscommunication there because the case number had to do with Mark Fincham's lawsuit, which is very, very similar to the lawsuit filed by Carrie Lake. So what we're listening to right now is oral arguments regarding the motions to dismiss from um, Katie Hobbs in the county versus uh, Mark Fincham and his attorneys. The uh, the the hearing for Carrie Lake won't be until Monday, the 19th. All right. So let's go ahead and play this. This baseless election contest should be dismissed. Plaintiff was the Republican nominee for Secretary of State and thus sought the position as Arizona's chief elections officer. That's a serious job, one that requires understanding and following the laws prescribed by the legislature for how elections are to be run. But the fact of the matter is that Arizonans chose someone else for that job, specifically Secretary-elect Fontes, by more than 120,000 votes. And although the legislature has given electors a carefully circumscribed path to follow to contest an election after the fact, plaintiff's contest of Secretary-elect Fontes's uh, election is wholly deficient and should proceed no further. As noted in the papers, Your Honor, plaintiff's claims fall into two large buckets, and I'll just mention each of them briefly. First, plaintiff claims that there was either misconduct or that illegal votes were cast uh, based on a widely circulated conspiracy theory that certain vote tabulation machines in Arizona are not properly certified under Arizona and federal law. Not only should plaintiff have brought this claim well before the election and well before the machines at issue tabulated the votes of millions of Arizonans, but it's also meritless according to the Election Assistance Commission itself. These machines are properly certified as established by public records that we've provided the court with uh, and, and, that, and that are referenced in, our, in the secretary's motion to dismiss. And, and that was one question I had. Um, so the, the argument is that it's appropriate for the court to view those additional materials um, appended or, or cited to on the website because they are public records um, from the Election Assistance Commission. And, and so reliance on those records doesn't convert the motion or require the motion to be heard via an evidentiary hearing. That's correct, Your Honor. All, they are all public records of which the court can take judicial notice. Um, and, and Your Honor, even if none of that were true, that is, even if uh, if it brought these claims in a timely fashion, which he didn't, even if those claims had merit, which they don't, uh, plaintiff does not and cannot allege that the machines at issue had any impact whatsoever on the results of the 2022 general election. 
So for all of those reasons, uh, plaintiff's claims about machine certification must be dismissed. Second, Your Honor, plaintiff alleges that the secretary engaged in misconduct uh, in, in three ways. By Number one, by not recusing herself from her constitutional and statutory, statutory duties when no statute required her to do so. Number two, for taking appropriate action to compel other elections officials to comply with their own such duties. And number three, by flagging election misinformation on social media to a private entity. None of this is misconduct under any common understanding of that term. To say nothing of actionable misconduct under the election contest statutes and the rich body of case law that we've cited to the court that discusses misconduct. The suggestion that any of this constitutes misconduct is meritless and, as we previewed for the court before, sanctionable. Your Honor, unless the court has any questions, the Secretary rests largely on her papers and requests that the court end this political sideshow, immediately dismiss this action with prejudice, and send a strong message to plaintiff and future litigants like him that the the judiciary is not the appropriate venue to air political grievances and conspiracy theories. Cases like this do nothing but sow needless distrust in our election system and the dedicated, bipartisan public servants who administer it, and they should be tolerated no longer. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Morgan? Yep. Thank you, Your Honor. Craig Morgan, for the record. Uh, just to follow up, Your Honor, on what Mr. Gaona said, a moment ago you mentioned the um, references in Mr. Gaona's briefs. I would also note, Judge, that in addition to being public records, I think they're appropriately considered because they're central to the plaintiff's claims. And as you know, there's case law that makes it pretty clear that in the context of a motion to dismiss, if a complaint references issues or matters outside the pleadings that are central to the claims, then those issues or matters are fairly raised outside the pleadings in a response. And I think this is an appropriate situation to invoke that doctrine through case law. Um, obviously, before I start, Judge, I want to make sure there aren't any specific questions you want me to answer uh, before I get into a couple things that I think are key here. Uh, no, why don't you make your argument? I, I prefer to listen and then kind of I'll jump in. Sure. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, first, uh, to echo Mr. Galen's thanks, I want to thank you and your staff for handling this on an expedited basis. I know it's difficult. It's no easy feat. And I want to thank you and again, particularly your staff. Uh, your Honor, the key thing here is this case is about trying to undo millions of votes. That's what they seek here. They want to stop the will of the people from being effectuated. And the problem with that, in addition to everything Mr. Gayona very eloquently stated, is that there's absolutely no legal or factual basis asserted by which to do so. They have failed to state with any reasonable uh, particularity at all how anything that happened that they alleged could have affected the outcome of the election. And their mere conclusory statements in the complaint aren't enough. They'll never be enough. This case should not proceed beyond the pleadings. Number two, and I think it's key, and I raised this argument in my brief, you cannot file an election contest and ask a court to conduct an entirely new special election without naming every county and its election department, period. And they didn't do that. And that's fatal to this court's jurisdiction. And they can't fix it after the fact. 
because there's no way those parties or those non-parties, I should say, aren't indispensable here. The counties conduct the elections and they need to be parties in the case. I did have a question about that because I, I saw that discussion, the discussion about indispensable parties in the Williams case that you cited from 2019, I think. But what I was wondering is, does the statute itself, which prescribes what has to be contained and who has to be included in the petition, provide that in in any statewide contest that all of the counties who have some some duties relating to the canvas have to be named as parties? I think, Your Honor, the answer is it depends on the relief you're going to seek. I think the statute very uh, clearly at least implies that if you're contesting an election, who are the contestees? Well, if you're saying, I want the relief of a new election because something occurred with respect to an aspect of the election, whoever, whatever you're saying occurred, right, uh, is going to probably dictate who the parties need to be. And here, they, they can try to try to hide from this and say, well, we're just, we're complaining about Secretary Hobbs. But the problem they've got is they're complaining about, very clearly in the complaint, things that allegedly occurred in Maricopa County, in Cochise County, in all of these precincts. If you look at their exhibits, that's what they're talking about. So I would submit to the court, in the context of this particular case, absolutely, they're indispensable parties. They are contestees in the sense that they're coming to this court and saying there were illegal votes because of something that happened at these places. and. It's highly inappropriate to to seek an entirely new election under the statute, that remedy, that drastic remedy, and not name the counties and their election officials who run those elections, who handle the canvassing, who are in charge of making sure things are done right on election day. Uh, I just to me, it defies logic that they aren't parties. I, I do not understand how this case got filed without taking the time to make sure that that these indispensable parties are a part of this case. Because clearly, if it moves forward, what happened on Election Day in these places at minimum Maricopa County are highly relevant. And they totally ignored that. Okay, but I think I'm understanding, though, that the the indispensability argument arises by virtue of the common law and not necessarily a, a, something that is stat- statutorily uh, prescribed in the, in the contest statute. I... I think that while the statute the statute doesn't specifically require you right to name anybody other than you got to name a contestant right, um, and I think here in in connection with the context of this case, I do think that the statute would require you to name those parties because I don't see the statute allowing. I can't imagine that that the stat that that, that the statute could be reasonably read to allow an entire recount. And re-election, or not recount, an entire new special election around the state uh, without requiring the parties who would be involved in that election to have a seat at the table to discuss whether that should even happen. But you're right, too, Judge. There is a common law right as well. It does arise under common law as well. I agree. Um, Notwithstanding, this is a a statutory proceeding. Uh, Finally, Your Honor, with respect to the certificate issue, the only thing I would stress, and and I want to make sure that that we've got a, a clear record of this. They're alleging just procedural irregularities. They say they say it in their complaint. They they call it that in their complaint. If you look in the amended uh, petition, which by the way isn't verified, at the end of the day, paragraph seventy one through seventy four is really where this case, where the rubber hits the road on count two. And what they're saying is that, and 
When I read this, it astonished me. They're saying the secretary changed the gauge of paper lined across the state before making such a substantial change. A certified lab should have tested and certified a material procedural change before the paper substitutions. Their change had a vast effect on the public's voting experience and amount to material misconduct. And then they go on to say that those things could have changed the outcome of the election. Well, the problem is, is that they're right. If that happened, it is procedural. And procedural issues like that don't give rise to an election contest. And the certificate issue is nothing more than a procedural issue they've known about for years. Well, I mean, under the case law, procedural irregularities could give rise to an election contest if there is fraud or the um, irregularities are alleged to have affected the outcome, correct? I don't think, well, I, I would agree that with respect to fraud, yes, but they're not alleging fraud. And with respect to irregularities affecting the outcome, yes, but there's no clearly pled allegations of how these specific irregularities could have affected the outcome. You can't just jump from this is what happened, therefore the outcome was affected. You've got to plead more than that, Your Honor. And I don't think they've met their burden of even pleading remotely that anything that occurred here has somehow affected the outcome of the, the election because they can't. Um, with that, Your Honor, I asked the court to dismiss this case with prejudice and give serious consideration to either sanctioning the parties for bringing what amounts to a frivolous political lawsuit or at least setting a briefing schedule so that we can brief the issue. Because I do think this court needs to take a stand and, and remind all counsel and litigants alike that there are standards for filing a lawsuit and you have to meet them. And they aren't hard to meet. But you haven't met them here. And this is just one of a series of meritless lawsuits that continue to perpetuate uh, divisive and, frankly, harmful rhetoric. And, and we just need to stop. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. Uh, Mr. McCauley, I, I can't see you, but I see your name on the list. Yeah, Judge, I, I uh, had a difficult time even getting uh, uh, in so that you could hear me. It, it was. I was repeatedly trying to make entry, and I finally had to call your clerk, and we got it straightened out to the point where at least I can uh, participate more or less by phone. Okay, and, and that's fine, and I can hear you um, just fine. Well, Judge, uh, I would say, first of all, that, uh, you know, to my knowledge, Mr. Fincham verified his complaint, his testimony, and uh, and we have no answer here. The statute clearly calls for an answer. Title 16 demands a, a you know an initial contest, an answer, and a hearing. There's no provision for for motion practice, and that's the governing statute. Now, when you try to apply the civil rules, okay, that, and. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but um, what do you have to say then to the 2013 Court of Appeals decision in Pruch versus Town of Quartzsite, which held that an election, a motion to dismiss is a responsive pleading um, for an election contest? And that the failure to file an answer in addition to a motion to dismiss doesn't give uh, rise to a default. Well, Your Honor, I think that... Um the facts and circumstances may, you know, appear to be a little bit different, but let's let's not even get into that. I I don't believe, as we researched it, we could find any case that really argued that uh, this 
procedure set under title under the title is a separate animal from any civil action. Civil actions are defined in the rules, and this is not a civil action. It's not related to a civil action. It's a wholly different animal governed strictly by this statute. Okay, but, but what about but what about the language of Rule 1 itself, which doesn't just apply to civil actions, it applies the rules to proceedings in the Superior Court. Would you agree that this is a proceeding in the Superior Court? Uh, not necessarily, Your Honor, because when the legislature drew this up, the civil rules were available. If they wanted this to be any form of civil proceeding, they would have allowed for that. They were very direct and uh, and limited. They wanted a speedy, quick resolution. Motion practice is not contemplated under the title, and motion practice shouldn't be accepted. And just, you know, if other lawyers in prior cases didn't render that defense, then I think a court can can name uh, can honor a, a motion for summary or a motion to dismiss. But this, in this case, this motion to dismiss is just a cover. First of all, there's no statutory authority cited there that's related to the rules. So the rules don't apply to this because they didn't cite them. And, uh, and second, Your Honor, this is just a, this is a disguised motion for judgment on the pleadings. And, and uh, Griffin v. Buzzard, which is the fundamental case from 1995, 1959, 86, Arizona, 166, Quoted, the door must be closed on to hearing charges, uh, must not be closed to hearing charges uh, related to deception or fraud. And misbehavior is a deception, Your Honor. And further... But, but they, Mr. McCauley, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay, Judge. I can continue. Go ahead. Well, I, I've read Griffin, um, and the the at least as to this issue of, of uh, the application of Rules 8 and 12b-6, Griffin was an appeal from a dismissal pursuant to Rule 12b-6, and although Griffin did reverse the dismissal, it analyzed the validity of that order under the standard employed for Rule 12b-6 motions and Rule 8 for um, pleadings. It applied the civil rules in evaluating that case. So the case itself stands for the proposition that Rule 12b-6 does apply to election contests, doesn't it? And I respectfully, just, I respectfully disagree, Judge, because in that case, I saw nothing. Uh, no attorney was citing to, to the Title 16. And the court responds to what the attorneys present to it. If, if, rule, if, uh, if a Title 16 and the rules related to, thereto and the specificity of the specificity of those rules had been argued in that case, uh, and I don't think I overlooked that. I, I would, I might have to agree with you. But since it wasn't raised, and to my knowledge, this is the first time it's being raised, uh, it it needs to be uh, honored as the uh, intent of the legislature. I mean, the legislature set forth the statutes, titrated them down to a very quick. They didn't want this. Look, look what's happened here. I've spent so much time with these motions that I can't prepare the case. And that's exactly what they wanted to avoid. And this, I believe these motions are being deliberately done, uh, you know, put forward specifically 
to deny me the title to prepare time to prepare the case. It's 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 a critical issue, and you know, uh, I think it's up to you to make a decision on that. I mean, I I think that uh, you should rule for us, but we'll see how that turns out. Because according to uh, uh, Griffin, which which uh, every you know, we're all citing here, contestants are entitled to prove their charges. They, the Supreme Court, wanted once litigants like this to be able to present their case and not have it short stopped. That's how I interpret the case, and they and they make that statement right in there at page one seventy three. Okay, but then how do you, how do you or how do I reconcile your your argument with the more recent Arizona Supreme Court cases affirming? 12b6 dismissals like Burke versus Ducey from 2021 because they didn't address the statute to my knowledge your honor they're, they're going on the civil rules and that's an entirely different animal if the legislature wanted the civil rules to apply to title 16 actions they would have included it they were very specific and there's no room for motion practice in that statute that's my contention, Your Honor. Okay. Sorry for all the interruptions. Go ahead. No, that's okay, Judge. And, um, you know, we're not trying to overturn millions of voters, Judge. We're not asking for the entire election to be redone. This is a contest between uh, two persons, I guess is the best word, who are vying for the same office. Now, Georgia had a special runoff for two men uh, running for the uh, Senate in Georgia, and it was done very quickly. In just a couple of days, it reached a result, and we're not asking the state of Arizona to go to great expense and, and remanage a major election across the state. We're asking for a revote on uh, the specific uh, contest that uh, you know unjustly enriched Mr. Fontes as we as we perceive it. Um, and you know there's there's other problems here. I mean there, there, there's no answer, therefore there's no testimony. There's nothing really backing up anything these attorneys are saying. Uh, there's there's no memorandum. It's not authorized under 16635, which requires a contest and requires an answer. The, the Griffin case requires an answer. Uh, they're trying to twist the motion to dismiss, as I said, to judgment on the pleadings, but they don't statute. They don't cite any statutory authority. They don't cite. They want to depend on the civil rules, but they don't cite one. So what we're doing here is we're picking and choosing what rule we want. And uh, why don't I get discovery? Why don't I get? A, why don't I get a uh, you know a Rule Twenty Six statement of disclosure? Because all that's time consuming and then the legislature didn't want that. It's it's pointed and direct. It's it's one of the most uh, pointed and direct statutes that I've seen in my 30 or 40 years as a lawyer. Well, it, would you agree, though, that nothing in the statute says that the civil rules don't apply and that motion practice is prohibited? There's nothing in the statute that that says that. Correct. Well, Judge, 
it's really not what this what the statute says in those terms. It's really about what the statute defined as the proceeding here. And they clearly defined it. And it's unequivocal. And, you know, I mean, the, the parties on the other side may come up with some arguments about it. But if the, but I, I just keep reiterating, if the legislature, and this, my understanding from our research is that this was a bipartisan decision. So it was probably, to our knowledge, if you're going to get bipartisan, there's a lot of negotiation and a lot of argument. I, I don't want to go back and have to research the all the, you know, history of that. But when you get when you get an agreement like this from a legislative body that's got at least two different parties and they're this specific and the civil rules existed and they chose not to insert them in here, that was deliberate and intentional and and the and the justification from my point of view is the fact that this is a separate animal. It's clearly defined. It's in Title 16. It's it has nothing to do with civil actions at all or anything related to a civil action. It's a contest. It's a it's a contest. It's not a complaint. These people are not defendants. They're you know, they're it's it's an entirely different uh, approach. And the, the parties are not identified in any way as a defendant would be in the, under the civil rules. There's no, the, the civil rules uh, on rule seven, they clearly define what a pleading is and what the rules govern. And this contest is not in that rule. So the rules itself state that this sort of litigation is not subject to the rules. You have a complaint, you have an answer, you have, it's all enumerated in there. If this legislature wanted this kind of a contest in the civil rules, they would have modified them, and they didn't. So it stands to reason that this action is totally and it should be conducted totally and separately uh, along the, the uh, architecture laid out in Title 16. Otherwise, the rules themselves would state that, you know, these contests uh, and the notices of contests would be a pleading. The rules handle pleadings. It's, it states it clearly. Okay, but, but what about the, the um, Supreme Court's decision in Hancock versus Bisnar, which evaluated an election contest's allegations based upon notice pleading standards set forth under Rule 8? I think that was a 2006 case. Yeah, I understand that, Judge, but I have to go back to the point. The, 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 the appellate courts and the courts in general are going to respond to what's presented to them. If it's never been presented to them in the fashion I'm presenting it to you, then, then they're not going to, they're going to go by the civil rules. If everybody says, oh, yeah, the civil rules are great, let's use them, then that's what the court's going to do. However, when I think when a litigant comes forward and says, wait a minute, the rules, the civil rules and Title 16 are clear and unequivocal. The civil rules do not uh, envision this action as they describe appropriate pleadings in the rules. And Rule 16, I mean, Title 16, forgive me, does not 
in, you know, include the civil rules in its architecture either. Okay, so it, it's but it's not an unequivocal statement. It's something that you're inferring from the lack of the express incorporation of the civil rules into the election contest statutory scheme. Uh, you know, I respectfully disagree, Your Honor. I mean, okay. Then, then show me in the statute where it excludes the application of any civil rule of procedure in an election proceeding. Where in the statute would I find that? Well, you won't find that, Your Honor. What you, what you will find is it's not included. And that's the point. The point is that they didn't say that the statute didn't go to great lengths and detail. I mean, I imagine hammering the statute out took a lot of work. And the 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 uh, result is not that, that maybe since it's silent we can include these. I do, I disagree with that respectfully. What it says is it's not in the statute. It's been well negotiated. We passed it bipartisanly, and it's not to include that because it's not in there. And that's I guess we're continuing on making a circular argument. I keep going around, but uh, I hope I'm making okay, myself but- clear. One of the other questions on the merits that I, I had for you was uh, you didn't really address the latches argument that was raised in the secretary's motion. And there is a, a long line of cases applying the latches doctrine in, in the context of election contests. So I was wondering if you could address that issue in particular. Well, I have, uh, I have, I, I haven't, I will now. I guess address it, but uh, I think I think that I think that they're setting me or they're setting litigants up for an either or. In other words, uh, my understanding, and I could get you the site, is that um, um, Ms. Lake made filed a motion in the federal district court wherein she said the voting machines would hurt me in the future. The court said that's speculative. You're talking about hurting in the future. You haven't been injured yet. And as a result of that, her, she, the case was not only dismissed, she was sanctioned. So if my client comes in early and says, oh, I'm going to be hurt by this. This is what we think is going to happen and presents a speculative argument. He's out. Now they want to say, because he didn't do that, he's still out after he's been injured. And my understanding of the law, after you know, when we were all lawyers, we've been in this a long time. My understanding is, in order to succeed, you have to have a palpable injury. You can't have a speculative injury. And my client's injury is palpable now. So, so it's inappropriate to say latches apply. I mean, you could, it's it's just a setup, I think, and it just takes more it takes more attention off the misbehavior here. And and there's significant misbehavior. Misbehavior. I think my my client disclosed to the public yesterday that we we want to file a motion for summary judgment here. I mean, this is a serious issue. We're waiting to see how you what well, decision you make. Aren't aren't you arguing that the motion that the civil rules don't apply? So how if if you're correct, how could you file a motion for summary judgment? Because you're going to rule on the civil rules, judge, and that and that. And that, without waiving my argument, I can res- I believe I can re- respond to a decision right made on the civil rules. Okay. So I can use civil rules in that regard. 
I'm st- I, and it will say, you know, right up front in the uh, motion for summary judgment that, uh, you know, we're not waiving any right. We're just comporting with the court's stance on this. Are there any other questions I can answer for you, Judge? You know, you know I'm aware. I, I, I do have questions, but I also don't want to interrupt you. So uh, I'll, I'll, if you want to, uh, there are things that you want to address. I'll, 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 uh, I'll save the rest of my questions for the end. Well, Judge, you know, about indispensable parties. I, I don't, there aren't any indispensable parties here. This is, this is a claim specifically made, uh, well, we had to in, include the contestee, Mr. Fontes, because the statute required it. But the issue is really solely with the acts or failures to act of the Secretary of State. And to bring in every county in Arizona, every county attorney in Arizona, all the notice provisions, all the people who might want to speak here, the, the speed and rapidity of, of the Title 16 architecture would be would be squandered. I mean, I have no idea if we make these people necessary to parties, i.e. defendants, how many of them are going to come forward. And I don't think it's needed because their behavior and what happened in the election has nothing to do with this. This claim has to do with uh, there's expert testimony, whether whether it'll whether you know we're going to have some motion to have the expert out or not, there's expert t- testimony in in the exhibits that says that these machines were not certified, and and the expert who's been in the business for 16 or 18 years says if they were certified, they wouldn't have had these problems. And there's a number of certifications because the certification calls for all pens, and they were using felt markers. The machine can't read them. Okay, and, and I'm sorry, I, I just want to kind of back up a little bit because in looking at the the uh, expert statement, um, the argument seemed to me to be focused on the fact that the signatures from these um, accreditation signatures, that the executive director of the Election Assistance Commission signed them instead of the chair of the commission. And that is the defect that you are alleging renders all of the votes cast and counted through the tabulation machines illegal. Am I understanding your argument? What we're saying, Judge, is that when you look at the certificate, the the statute is specific. And the Secretary of State knows it's specific and it requires a certain officer to execute it or it is invalid. But is it really the statute, uh, is it really the statute, either HAVA or state law that references the chair of the EAC signing the certificate or is is that premise coming from the the manual? No, Judge, this comes from the statutes. These, the, the companies that certify have to be recertified every two years. So the labs have to be recertified, and then the labs have to re- recertify the machines every two years. And, and, and I, under, I understand the statute requires certification and recertification. My question, though, is you are arguing that there was a, a statutory requirement that the chair of the EAC 
sign the certificate of accreditation and that accreditation is invalid if the chair didn't sign the certificate. And what I'm wondering is, I didn't see any reference in the statute, either in HAVA or in the state statute, that requires the signature on the certificate in order to for to be by the chair of the EAC in order for the accreditation itself to be valid. And I'm wondering, I, I saw the reference in the voting manual, the, the, the program manual, but what I'm wondering is, are you saying there's another reference in a, in a regulation or a statute that I didn't see? Or is no, that the source? What I'm saying to you and what the expert says is the date's also off on that and that he believes the document is a forgery made to fool the public. And that company was not properly certified and was in no position to certify those machines as a result of that. And this was okay, but then, years. But, but then how do you how how do you address the fact that the EAC itself has confirmed that these two companies are in fact accredited, that they have always been accredited and that their accreditation has not been revoked? I mean, the EAC is the one responsible for accreditation. It is coming out saying these companies are accredited. How do you then say that that there's no accreditation? I, I'm struggling with that. Well, I'm having trouble myself, Judge, since I don't have copies of that. So I don't have those documents to refer to and haven't had them. Otherwise, we probably have gone to the expert and gotten an answer. Well, they're, they're cited. Um, oh, I, I don't know whose phone is ringing. It's not mine. <laughs> I think it might be my iPad, Judge, and I'm sorry about that. There's, I just can't do anything about it or I'll lose you. Oh, oh, that's, a, that's okay. Um, not from my perspective, Judge. I mean, I think it's over. Okay. Um, so I, I, I guess my question, well, you're saying you don't have access to them, but they were cited to and links provided to the EAC's uh, records in the motion to dismiss, particularly in the, the um, secretary's motion. So did, did you not have a chance to, to look at those? No, I didn't have a chance. I didn't. We didn't see them, Judge, with all... I mean, oh, we're okay, fair, fair enough. Here. But, uh, but be that as it may, it's, 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 not the, it's not the EAC that has to do this. They have nothing to do with this. The person who has to validate all this is the Secretary of State. It's her primary job. She's to run these elections. She can't depend on somebody, uh, some other entity that's not under her control. She has, she has to validate what they said. That's her responsibility. And for the, for, you know, this gets more serious. For, for the second highest officer in the state of Arizona to go to a, to, a, to a public platform and tell that platform, speaking for the state of Arizona, the government, that the government wants her own constituents censored, that's a major issue. There's really serious issues that have to be addressed, and getting out on a technicality is not helping, you know, the, the citizens of our state. We need a resolution. Pardon my Okay, and, and I think I I'm just... To, change, I'm just, you know, I don't mean to be loud or abrupt. But that's okay. Um, uh, I, I appreciate uh, a zealous and, and vigorous argument. Um so I think you're moving to the issue of the um, Twitter suspension. Is that what you're referring to? 
yes, Judge, I'm talking about the Twitter suspension, and I'm talking about, you know, a number of other things that we presented. There's three claims we presented, and we're going to, you know, if you if you don't dismiss this case, we're going to summary judgment those claims. And okay, so why, why don't we why don't we talk about those claims then? Um, and and I'll try not to interrupt, but I would like to hear hear you out on the merits of those those claims. Well, Judge, I just you know I just just let's continue with the Twitter situation. Those are public. Those are corporate records. That have been so they're business records that have been released by the new owner, and those business records, as as uh, um, the evidence, for one of a better term, that's out there shows clearly that as the Secretary of State, you know, the first officer behind the governor, person who would replace the governor if something happened to him cajoled the Twitter people into censoring 50, possibly as much as 50% of her constituency. This is a political issue. And she, her defense is that she was, she was, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to eliminate misinformation. What misinformation? Whose definition? What definition is there? I know of no definition in our statutes or in related issues that define misinformation. It's just made up. Okay. Well, could you explain to me, though, how the the um, communications with Twitter flagging um, information translates into a basis for challenging the later November election um, under... 16-672A1. What, what, is, what is the argument? How, how do you get from the Twitter communications to misconduct under the election contest statute? I get to it, Judge, because um, Twitter has itself released records, business records, that shows they believed when they took action, they were affecting these elections. That's coming right from Twitter. Now, Facebook has also made public disclosures, and I can get, you know, prepare, get those for you if you need to see them, where they say they can turn an election they, by, by, by censoring people and not allowing both sides of an issue to be heard. Only one side is heard. And for people who are independent, we're in the middle. All they're hearing is one story, and they believe the platforms themselves assert publicly that they believe they can affect an election. Well, and, and I understand that criticism. I guess my, my question is more pointed to the fact that uh, social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook are private actors. So I don't understand, and, and I, I believe that there were uh, there there is at least a few more recent cases su suggesting that um, it isn't state action when Twitter or uh, Facebook makes a decision to limit information or suspend an account that uh, gives rise to a claim against governmental actors merely because they may have communicated. 
uh, about what they believe to be misinformation circulating on on those sites. So again, I come back to our election contest statute that requires allegations of misconduct in the canvas. How do these um, these decisions by private entities amount to to the secretary's misconduct in the canvas? I, I'm not sure I can make that link. So I, I want to give you a chance to explain it. Well, because Judge, it's it's not these platforms making an independent decision. These platforms are 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 uh, you know directed by a governmental official, and that makes it government. The, the government of Arizona restricted the speech that, that affected this election. And um, and the canvas is is really, the way we look at the canvas is, is and address it, is under a, a different uh, theory, a different, one of the three uh, foundations for our uh, complaint. And that has to do with there was information provided to different counties that by by who the county believed were experts uh, of one form or another. I can't speak for all these counties. And as a result of that, Mojave County, Cochise County, a number of counties wanted to have a complete recount, which wouldn't have taken long in these counties. And that was immediately resisted. And, uh, and they were threatened with legal action. And, uh, and I have two witnesses who, come, who are going to come forward if we go to trial, who testify what they experienced. And that sort of uh, interjection of threats of legal prosecution and criminal prosecution, and you're going to have to get a criminal lawyer, uh, you know, are are the core of exactly what I think you're trying to, you know, address or get an answer to. It's, it's also a serious charge. It's one thing to, it's one thing to um, deal with these counties in a reasonable fashion as the secretary of state. It's another thing to uh, threaten and intimidate them. Our government and our government agencies shouldn't be threatening and intimidating. It's just, it's a, it's um, citizens or it's electors in order to get what they want. I don't, you know, it's clear on its face that if, if who's in charge, this is where we need a decision. Who's really in charge? So we have, we have a, a, a secretary of state with an election manual. And that election manual probably is not effective anymore because the Supreme Court ruled on this in the West Virginia case. It, it set down that decision in, in June before we had this. So these these government agencies are not permitted to make the rules and regulations that that uh, that can punish its constituents. The legislature has to do that. That's not what happened here. This was a manual. It was 2019. It was from the Secretary of State. They made these rules as of July. I mean, as of June, they were not a- applicable anymore. And uh, I guess the, the best way to say it is... Um, 
Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting modes, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com. Fighterflare.com. The county, the county, the county boards are given a responsibility by their constituents to represent them. If the county boards have a legitimate, a legitimate belief, whether it's correct or not, it's a legitimate belief that their constituents could somehow have been injured by what they deem to be, uh, you know, an, an an illicit or somehow faulty election. Who makes the decision about that count? The the state attorney, you know, the state uh, uh, secretary of state who benefits from this, or or the board that's supposed to be representing and protecting the interest of the 
of the uh, you know citizens of its county. It's obvious that there's that this has to be addressed, and hopefully, in your decision, you'll determine whether the boards have this authority and can represent their people, or whether the boards just have to rubber stamp whatever the Secretary of State determines to be a good election. Well, uh, then then I'll ask you this. Um, where would I find that the authority for the proposition that the boards have uh, discretion with respect to whether or not to uh, complete the canvas, their, their parts of the canvas and certify um, and, and whether or not they can direct a, a recount of some kind if they are concerned about it. Where Where is that authority? Well, I think, Judge, the authority, uh, since since it hasn't, I don't think it's been really tried, but I think the authority is, is uh, related directly to their uh, responsibilities and the rules and regulations that govern their behavior in each county as to, uh, you know, what they're responsible for. And in these counties, they are responsible to make sure that their constituents get a full and fair and uh, election. That that is, you know, that's just their responsibility. On the other hand, you know, it's the it's the Secretary of State's uh, responsibility to make sure that she puts forward a uh, a full, fair, and safe election. And that she or whoever's in that office addresses these these uh, uh, issues regarding certification directly. It can't respond. It can't be responsible to rely on some rely on some uh, you know board that they have no control over. They have no no relationship with other than you know the review their opinions and um, Secretary of State didn't do that in this case. Our contention is, and our pleading is directed to, I mean, pleading is not a pleading. Our, our contest is directed to say that had, and our experts will testify, that they believe had the proper inspections been done, which were created under statute because the legislators knew we were going into a new computer age and wanted to make sure that they had a standard set, that um, these standards have to be uh, addressed and held by the Secretary of State and no one else. And when she didn't do that, when she failed in that duty and it wasn't properly supervised and these weren't properly vetted machines, we got chaos. I mean, we've attached to, as an exhibit, 80 emails that circulated in Pima County talking about the mass chaos they were having trying to count this vote. And our contention is that the machines were proper and vetted, inspected, we wouldn't be here because we'd have no basis to complain. If I'm, if I made that clear, I was kind of trying to think while I talked to you. I'm sorry. Oh, oh that's okay. I, I did have a question about that because I, I, I was looking at your response, um, in particular at page fourteen, and and obviously, or I think you would agree, maybe you won't. So I'll ask um, that that. Pointing out irregularities doesn't, even if they occurred, doesn't give rise to a, a valid election contest unless there is uh, fraud or unless it, the, the result was affected by the error. 
And I think in, in, on page 14, you are conceding that you're not alleging any fraud occurred. Your allegation is based upon the, the claim or concern that these irregularities affected the outcome. Is that accurate? I just wanted to make sure I, I got that right in terms of what you are arguing. Well, Judge, I think we're arguing in terms of the uh, case from 1958 or 59, Griffin, that's still the standard. And that case says that, uh, and I quoted it, that uh, we're entitled to have a hearing on charges of fraud or deception. And we believe that there's deception in the practice practice of of, of not dealing fairly and coming forward to the different counties that protested the election and saying to them, you know, maybe you have a point, give us your evidence, we'll consider it. I mean, that's the way the Secretary of State should behave yourself. She deceived them. She said to them, no, this is a great election. Everything's fine. Your your complaints are groundless and you're going to do what I want or I'm going to put you before a criminal tribunal of some form, and you can get a lawyer and pay a hundred grand to be saved. That's exactly what really happened when you boil all the fancy words away. This was a deception because she's telling them they have no grounds for concern when they they absolutely did. Okay, and, and tell me again what what the the grounds for concern were. Well, Judge, the. You know, there's there's probably six or seven concerns, but I think the really material concern is that it goes back to the statute and the statute related to elections. And it's clearly defined in these statutes that the companies have to be vetted every two years and the equipment has to be vetted every two years. And if you make a major, if you make any material change, in the voting system, whether it's the tabulators or whatever, that that has to be recertified. And none of this was done. They were told it was done, and they were told that a three-year-old inspection, three years, not two years, was adequate. But in point of fact, it proved out not to be adequate because there's chaos across the state. These machines cause problems, and we have no complaint against you know these counties that were victimized we have a complaint against the person who had the responsibility to make sure the, the secretary of state was elected in a controversial election. She experienced this. And then she tells the public she's going to fix this and it's worse. That's what happened here. They've been deceived. Okay. But, but would you agree that although there, there were certainly concerns raised, there isn't any specific allegation that votes that were run through the tabulation machines weren't counted. There's just a concern that they, some of them might not have been if they were in the box number three, right? No, Judge. Well, well, yes. I mean, yes, that's a contention, but the contention underlying that is people should have the public and the counties should have been able to depend on the certifications of those machines and the assurances of the Secretary of State that it would be a smooth election. They should have been able to rely on that. The end result is they couldn't rely on it at all. That's the real issue. 
and uh, you you know specifying that. I mean, I, I could petition you to look at the ballots. I could send people in there. We could go through that whole exercise. And if you think that you that you need that kind of evidence, I would request be be able to do that. But the real issue is is more fundamental. We need to assure that right now, probably fifty percent or close to fifty percent of the of the citizens of this state have serious questions about this. I can't tell you how many people call here. I don't even know who they are. And they're calling me. I can't get off the phone. We need you to do this. We're hoping you'll do that. Well, you know, that caused, that causes me to, I'll send me retired. I mean, I'm going to be out of the law. I took this because they needed somebody to do it. And so, you know, I guess I have the less, least risk. I mean, if I get into real trouble and get disbarred here, I'm 76 or 77 by the time they get to it. And, the more important factor is, as a voter in Arizona, I question it. As a voter in Arizona, tens of thousands, if not millions of people are questioning it. And we need to, to set forth a standard. That's what we're really trying to get here. The appellate court, because one side or the other is going to appeal this. The appellate court needs to set standard as to who's in charge. The Secretary of State, because they write a law, what they think is a law, or the, the you know boards in these counties, and what do we mean? Does the statute that requires somebody to sign something it gets put in there by the legislature? Is that material? Or we can just say, oh, that doesn't matter. What the, what, what the legislators you know provided for specifically doesn't matter. We're gonna we're just gonna undercut that. What the, what, what the legislators you know provided for specifically doesn't matter. We're gonna we're just going to undercut that after they spent all the time and negotiation, get what they came up with. We're going to ignore it. And there's no civil rules, but oh, well, you know, nobody argued that before. So I guess we can just do it. That's where we are. And we need to fix that. That's why I'm here, judge. I'm not here because I'm going to get some big victory or I need to get out in front of the, that on the steps and publicize myself. I'm here because as I go out, I'm concerned about my vote. My family's concerned about their votes. Everybody I know is concerned, literally. Even I have some very liberal clients. They're concerned. Everybody wants their vote counted. And I don't understand from a party that their mantra is every vote should be counted. That's the mantra of this party. That's the mantra these men will use in other cases. Every vote has to be counted. But in this case, we don't need to worry about that. Is that where we're going? That's where it looks you know, to the public. So I think we need to set a standard. And that's what I'm asking you to do. I know it's a lot to ask, believe me, Judge. I mean, I I wouldn't be a judge for anything. I like the I, I like what I'm doing. I wouldn't want to have to make these decisions because I know how difficult it can be. But uh that's where I am, Judge. I mean, I, I I'm happy to go on if you'd like. I'm sure these other gentlemen are chomping at the bit to go at me, but Okay, uh, thank you, Mr. McCauley. Um, so I, I guess, Mr. Gay, I'm going to finish. I'll start with Mr. Morgan. Anything for rebuttal? Your Honor, uh, from the uh, Secretary. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll let Mr. Morgan. No, no I don't. We can go in the same order as before, Mr. Gay. Go ahead. Uh, and this may be mercifully quick, Your Honor. Um, I, I don't have anything to add. Um, again, the Secretary rests on her papers. 
um, and the argument provided before, nothing you heard today from Mr. McCauley changes the simple fact that this case must be dismissed, and we request that you do so promptly. So thank you, Your Honor. I appreciate your brevity because my shoulder's killing me, and I can't take anything till we're done here. Just so. a person who moved there. Yeah, Judge Craig Morgan for Secretary-elect Fontes. Look, I've heard so many contradictions. My head hurts. I, I agree with Mr. Gayelna. The only thing I would note for the court is, you know, the irony of saying that this entire case should not, uh, this entire motion should be denied just because the civil rules don't apply when in paragraph B of the demand for relief, they're literally asking for, and I quote, discovery under the civil rules. Uh, and and I just I think what you've heard in the last half hour or so illustrates the complete nonsense that is this case and the total harassment that it has caused these defendants who have had to pay real money to actually address these issues. And I just don't want that to be lost on the court because I cannot think of a single excuse for why this action is here. I'm embarrassed for the voters. I'm embarrassed for Arizona. And I'm ashamed that anybody would file a civil action who's been admitted to the bar that I love so much and make these sorts of allegations. Um, and I just ask the court to please dismiss this action and take whatever appropriate action the court deems necessary to make sure that these sorts of things don't happen again without some investigation and a forethought. Thank you, Judge. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yes, you, you can. It's a personal attack. It's unwarranted. These are well-founded allegations, and he's made an attack on the record, which is grossly unfair. Okay. And if this I, I want the public slander him for it, but since he's protected by the, the uh, you know, pleading standards and the court system, I, I have no recourse, but there's no excuse for a lawyer to attack me like this in front of you. Oh, okay. Here's what I'm going to tell everyone. Tempers are high. You're exhausted. Um, this is a sh such a short timeline. Everybody has to be working around the clock. I can tell you, I have been working around the clock uh, to read a, a lot of election cases this week. So I understand that um, tensions are high. I'll just remind everybody that your your ability to zealously represent your clients doesn't uh, doesn't need to compromise your professionalism toward toward one another. But um, let's let's talk about next steps. So I know you need this ruling quickly, and I promise you, I have been working um, to make sure that you will get it today. I do, however, want to be able to take your arguments today into consideration and to provide you all with a written explanation for my ruling, um, because I think that you all deserve that, your clients deserve that, and, and the citizens deserve to see um, an, an explanation in writing. So I'm just going to ask you to give me a little bit of time. I'm going to take this under advisement, but I will get my ruling filed and emailed um, to all counsel before um, or maybe at uh, 5 p.m. Um, today. What I'm going to do um, is just set a status conference on Monday. I know that there was some concern that, well, if she denies the motions, we're going to have to hurry up and, and have an evidentiary hearing on Monday. 
Um, and in thinking about that, I know that's not realistic. I also don't want you to have uh, spend the weekend panicking about it. So what we will do is we will kind of have a placeholder uh, for a status conference on Monday um, to, if need be, set an evidentiary hearing. If need be, I will extend the the dead the hearing date five days as the statute allows me to do um, to give you all some time to prepare uh, without having to incur time and, and costs unnecessarily if if it turns out that we don't need to move forward. So um, does 9 a.m. Monday as a placeholder work for you all? Your Honor, Andy Gaona on behalf of the Secretary, um, I have an oral argument um, in another election contest before Judge Thompson that's set from okay. 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then my other restriction is an oral argument in a third election contest before Judge Jansen in Mojave County that's set from 1.30 to 3.30, I believe. So I could work. Those are my my limitations there. Um, well, it wouldn't take much time. What if we... Um, as a, as a, and, and like I said, it, it may not be, it may be moot, but um, I just want to sure. have something in place because like I said, I, I, I appreciate the argument. I want to um, have some time to, to digest those things today. But what about if we just put a placeholder in for 830 um, and, and it'll be virtually and it'll be a quick status conference really just to talk about a, a hearing, setting a hearing if we need to. Would that be okay? Your Honor, that works for the Secretary. Thank you for working around our schedule. It's fine uh, for Mr. Fontes, Your Honor. Oh, it's fine with me, Judge. I'm the least active of the lawyers on this. Uh, well, and and like I said, I won't. Um, I I appreciate getting a, a little little extra time after today's hearing um, to uh, type up what I hope will be um, a, a good explanation for my ruling. And like I said, I promise you we'll have that by five o'clock. Um, my staff is definitely going to want to get out of here by then, too. So um, I will get it done. I appreciate all of the hard work by all of the lawyers in this case. Um, and I appreciate the the chance to um, consider the arguments that you've all made. So uh, thank you very much. Um, good luck on the other uh, matters that you are working on this week. And um, is there anything else that we need to talk about before we adjourn? Not from the uh, secretary. Okay. Uh, well, thank you all. Have an Okay. Okay. Stick around guys. I'm going to give you a little bit of a wrap up and some uh, commentary here. <clears throat> so that was interesting. And I got to say, it's very, very difficult to tell what's going to happen here with this judge. Um, she she said we're going to have a decision today by 5 p.m. Arizona time with a written explanation for her ruling. Now, <clears throat> so if she does allow this to go forward, um, she's going to schedule an evidenti evidentiary hearing on Monday. So we don't uh, we don't really know what's going to happen as far as uh, if there's an evidentiary hearing. We don't have a date for that yet. But um, <clears throat> I want to say that this 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 lawsuit. This hearing and this decision is very critical, very, very critical, because Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham have effectively filed identical cases. Well, there, there's there's some key differences here, but whatever happens here is very much going to impact um, what happens in Carrie Lake's case. The, the main difference between Mark Fincham and Carrie Lake 
is for one, there is a much, much wider margin between uh, so so Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs have a margin of victory of about 17,117 votes. Now, Mark Fincham and Adrian Fontes have a margin of over 120,000 votes. So in order for, um, you know, Mark Fincham be, to be successful here, he would have to show irregularities that out um, that that are larger than this 120,000 uh, vote discrepancy. The other thing is Mark Fincham, I would say, and I love Mark Fincham, but I would say that some of the allegations in the lawsuit are a little bit more of uh, are, are a little bit more reaching than Carrie Lake, for instance. <clears throat> um, he alleged that the box three ballots may have never been counted at all. And that was one of the key arguments that he made. So Carrie Lake said, that a lot of the box three ballots were commingled with ballots that were already counted, and there's no way to know if the if if the if the if those ballots were counted twice or if they weren't counted at all, and it warrants an investigation. Whereas Mark Fincham said on the Secretary of State's website, sixty thousand ballots mysteriously disappeared, and in Pima County, twenty thousand mysteriously disappeared. So um, he's suggesting that those are probably the box three ballots. So I think it's a, <clears throat> um, it's very similar to Carrie Lake's lawsuit, but it's also a little bit different. So let's talk about what happened in this hearing today and give you guys my my thoughts on it. Um, so the county opened up, and their dismissal arguments, their arguments for a dismissal were very similar to the arguments that they put forth in the Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs lawsuit. I was reading that before the show. And basically what they laid out was was pretty much the same. So they're going for this latches argument to shut down uh, m- many of the counts alleged by Mark Fincham. And latches is basically like, okay, well, uh, you didn't make these challenges in time. You know, for instance, saying that the machines weren't properly certified. Why didn't, why didn't you bring that challenge before the election? Why did you wait until after you lost to bring that challenge? Um the other one was this the Secretary of State's election procedures regarding signature verification and chain of custody, saying, well, this is what the, the this is what the process has been since 2019. So why did you not bring this case before the election? Why did you wait until after you lost? Because you waited until after you lost, then this argument is moot and they're arguing latches here. Now, I think that's completely ridiculous, absolutely absurd to make that argument because we had um, – it's like they're saying two things at the same time. One, they're saying, well, you can't bring an election challenge until it's already been certified. And then <laughs> – I so, so they try to prevent you from bringing one, and they dismiss anything that's brought and say it's premature. And then after the election, they say you should have brought the challenge <laughs> before the election. So, I mean, you just can't win with these people. Not to mention, Carrie Lake had uh, made a challenge to the Dominion machines, right? Remember, she she brought that challenge months ago. And it was dismissed. And it was not only dismissed, but her attorneys were sanctioned afterwards, right? So, I mean, um, part of that lawsuit challenging the machines included the fact 
that the machines were not actually certified. So that challenge was brought, but it was dismissed. Um, so this this whole latches argument was was ridiculous. <clears throat> the other thing the county said, the, the county's attorney said, is that there's no statute requiring Katie Hobbs to recuse herself. So it's just your personal opinion. It's not there's nothing in the law that says that because you know there's a conflict of interest here and Katie Hobbs has to recuse herself. That's just your opinion. That's what the county said. They also said there was no First Amendment violation because uh, Twitter's a private company, and they said that the remedy that you're asking for is too drastic, and because you're making citations about uh, Cochise County and Mojave County in your lawsuit, without naming them as a party in the lawsuit, that this case should just be dismissed. And the the, uh, the county attorneys were so arrogant and said, that this lawsuit is so baseless and so frivolous that it shouldn't even be before the court. And it's offensive. And these, these, these attorneys should be sanctioned. They should be punished for it. So that was their argument, right? You know, they, they took turns to speak. The county presented their argument for dismissal. And then it was Mark Fincham's attorney's turn to present his argument against dismissal. And here's where things got interesting. And here's where I started to think, wow, this is not going well. So at first, <clears throat> Fincham's attorney didn't really respond. Instead, said that the plaintiff is entitled to a hearing. Fincham's attorney said that the governing statute around bringing an election challenge means that we are entitled to a hearing <clears throat> and that there's absolutely no grounds for the county to even bring a motion to dismiss. This shouldn't even be entertained. Um, so, so Mark Fincham's attorney basically said, we are entitled to a hearing, we are entitled to a discovery, and we shouldn't even be here discussing motions to dismiss because um, we believe that we're entitled to a hearing. Right? That was his argument. <clears throat> and unfortunately, the judge wasn't going for that argument at all. Uh, so, so the judge basically said, uh, okay, yeah, but there's Arizona Supreme Court precedent where election challenges were brought and motions to dismiss were, I guess, accepted. And uh, so the Arizona Supreme Court precedent affirms the fact that you're wrong. That's what the judge said. And so <clears throat> she even went as far as to say, show me in the statute where it says that um, motions to dismiss are excluded, right? That they're, they're And so uh, Mark Fincham's attorney was like, well, that's the point. It's not in the statute. It doesn't say anywhere that there's supposed to be a motion to dismiss hearing. And the judge was just kind of like not going for this argument at all. And so at that point, <clears throat> uh, Mark Fincham's attorney was pretty much forced to start making arguments on the fly against the county's motion to dismiss. Does that make sense? So he went there. Mark Fincham's attorney went to court, uh, prepared to stand on this argument and say, we shouldn't even be here. We shouldn't even be discussing a motion to dismiss at all. The judge didn't go for it. So he was basically like a uh, put in a position where now he has to start making arguments up on the fly 
as to why we shouldn't dismiss the case. So he was pretty much freelancing it at that point. The county, they, they put this all in writing. They crafted a document citing all the reasons to dismiss it. And Mark Fincham's attorney didn't have anything prepared. So now he's kind of caught having to argue against each one of the county's arguments on the fly. First one was latches. The judge said, uh, you know, you need to address this latches thing. And so, you know, again, why did why did you wait until after the election to challenge things like the machine certification and the signature verification? Why did you wait until afterwards? And he responded and, and said, you know, what I said before, uh, you know, Carrie Lake tried that and it was dismissed. So we waited until after the election, <laughs> which is a pretty sound argument. I think that was I think he handled that one pretty well. That's where I was like, okay, this is going back in the direction of the you know Fincham's attorney. This is going good. Now here's where he made some bad arguments. So after they discussed latches, then they moved on to the machine certification issue. And the judge said, um, hey, I mean, you're presenting this argument that the machine uh the the testing laboratories Provi and VNSLI were never actually accredited and therefore the machines were never certified but there's no law which states that the EAC has to you know accreditate the the certification labs that that's not in the law anywhere and so Fincham's attorney says that he believes um Oh, and I'm sorry. Let me back up a step. So the judge said there's nothing in the law that says the EAC has to accreditate the certification labs and said that Katie Hobbs has actually submitted a document proving that the EAC says that actually the the, uh, Provi and VNSLI were certified and that their certification never lapsed. So we have this document from the EAC. What say you, Mr. Attorney? And Fincham's attorney was like, okay, well, we believe that that document has been forged. Okay. And, um, but then he says that I've actually, you know, I haven't even seen it. She was like, okay, well, well, Katie Hobbs attorneys put it in their motion to dismiss. Have you seen this document? And he said, no, uh, I didn't, I didn't look at that, which, which I, I just feel like that wasn't a, that wasn't a good moment in the hearing. Because if you're an attorney and you're going to say, I haven't read, <laughs> sorry, judge, but I haven't read, the, <laughs> I haven't read the defendant's motion that I'm here in court. To, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here arguing against the whole reason that I'm here. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't read, <laughs> I haven't read the defendant's <laughs> motion. I just didn't think that was a good, that wasn't a good thing. Um, I thought that was a pretty bad moment in the hearing. Okay, then moving on to the the censorship First Amendment violation. The judge said, you know, okay, so part of your argument is that Stephen Richer and Katie Hobbs silenced their political opposition. And the judge said, you know, okay, there might be some misconduct here, uh, but how does this misconduct fall under the election challenge contest law because the statutes in Arizona about, you know, how you can bring an election challenge and and what constitutes 
an injury and stuff like that. It's very specific. And the judge was saying this whole thing about Katie Hobbs and Twitter, it doesn't fall within the confines of this law. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me how this, you know, falls into the law. And Finchin's attorney said that basically Katie Hobbs, you know, for all we know, could have had 50% of the Arizona constituents silenced on Twitter. You know, and basically they weren't allowed to see anything challenging the narrative. And she got she got to be the arbiter of truth and decide what's true and what's false. And Twitter themselves have even admitted that this type of conduct can alter the outcome of an election. And so obviously, uh, I, I mean, all of us would agree that Katie Hobbs colluding with, with the DHS and CISA and Twitter, that w- that's not a private company acting independently. That's the Secretary of State and the County Recorder. That's state action interfering with political discourse. So I, it was really hard to tell if the judge went for that, but I think it stands I, – I think that – Anybody with a brain would agree with that sentiment. Um, you know, and then so there was just a couple more things. They talked about, you know, forcing coaches to certify. The judge was like, okay, well, where is the statute that gives the county the authority not to certify? And Fincham's attorney was like, I I believe it's their right and their responsibility. You know, they they have if they if they don't believe they can trust the results, then they have the right to withhold certification but the judge was like okay but you know i was asking for a specific statute an interpretation of the statute um so i don't know if, but the main thing here is the irregularities the printers the the machine issues and uh you know fincham's attorney basically said you know we have grounds for a hearing because the statute it says that, um, you know, you, basically the statute in Arizona for bringing an election challenge says that um, you, you, you either have to prove fraud or, you know, deception or that irregularities affected the outcome of the election. And Fincham's attorney said that, you know, we have grounds for a hearing because there was obvious deception. They lied about the machine failures. They lied about the wait times and the voter disenfranchisement. They lied about, you know, the mach- that they said the machines were certified when they really weren't. They lied about all that. Okay? And so there was obvious deception here, which entitles us to a hearing. Very, very simple. And in in uh, Mark Fincham's uh, original complaint, you know, they, they lay it out. How the county lied. They lied about the numbers. They lied about how long the machines failed for. And they lied about the the wait times and and how many people were disenfranchised. So it's really uh, difficult to interpret what this judge is going to do based off this hearing. Because on one hand, she rejected his main argument. She rejected his first main argument that, you know, we don't even have to discuss a motion to dismiss because we're entitled to a hearing. She completely shut that down. Uh, But after she had him, you know, uh, make his arguments for each individual complaint, 
Uh, it appeared that she was at least a little bit impartial. And, you know, we, we've seen a lot worse in terms of judges dealing with election challenges. I'll tell you that much. This is not the worst judge that I've ever seen. Okay. So, <clears throat> like I said, guys, this is going to be interesting. We're going to have an answer by 5 p.m. Arizona time. And this is going to really set a precedent uh, because of, of the similarities between Mark Fincham and Carrie Lake's lawsuit. So Carrie Lake, uh, <clears throat> the county, they had they, they had submitted a motion to dismiss. Carrie Lake has to respond, I believe, by tomorrow. And then um, on Monday, each side is going to be given an hour for oral arguments regarding the motions to dismiss. And it was based. So basically what we saw with Mark Fincham's lawsuit today, we're going to see that on Monday with Carrie Lake. Now, I had some news come across my desk and I want to show you something. Check this out. Um, so whoops, not that that's the motion to dismiss. This is Katie Hobbs motion to dismiss Carrie Lake's lawsuit. And guys, I was going through this and I swear, man, <laughs> if you want to get pissed off and frustrated, just read the insane. Let me, let me just read one right here. Okay. Check this out. So this is again, Katie Hobbs motion to dismiss Carrie Lake's lawsuit. And one of the arguments that she makes here is that Lake's misconduct and illegal votes claims fail as a matter of law, specifically counts two, three, four, five, and six, because they do not allege actual misconduct that falls within the scope of the election contest statute. Many of Lake's misconduct allegations concern the behavior of third parties, alleging misconduct by third-party contractor Runbeck alleging misconduct by third-party contractor Star Center, alleging misconduct by an unidentified non-governmental hacker. Accordingly, Lake fails to state a claim for (coughs) misconduct to support counts two, three, and four. Lake admits as much, alleging that the contest statute fails to give her adequate remedies to address the conduct of third parties. Much of the misconduct that Lake alleges, such as erroneous printer settings in counts 2, 5, and 6, is not misconduct at all, but rather simple mistakes or administrative difficulties that could occur in any election. So, if you don't understand legalese, and you don't understand what I just read, essentially, what Katie Hobbs is arguing <laughs> is that she's not even arguing against the fact that 300,000 ballots had no chain of custody because what well, it doesn't really matter because Runbeck is a private company. So there's no law. Uh, Carrie Lake is not entitled to any relief or remedy because there's no law that addresses misconduct from a third-party contractor. So Runbeck can do whatever the hell they want. And Star Center was this third-party contractor that uh, was part of the the, the ballot's um, affidavit signature verification. We had a whistleblower from the McTech Center say that Star Center was taking ballots off-site with zero oversight, and they had the ability to override the, 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 the county workers who determined that signatures didn't match. 
So Star Center was able to take ballots off-site with no oversight and change ballots from uh, being rejected to accepted. <laughs> and, and so Katie Hobbs is saying, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because Star Center is a third-party contractor. Unbelievable, man. Unfrickin' real. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Not even saying, not even addressing the actual allegations and concerns. Just saying, there's nothing you can do about it. Screw you. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, there was fraud. No chain of custody. 300,000 illegal ballots. But, uh... It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a state actor, it was a private company. So all we really need to do, if you want to break the law and you want to rig an election, all you need to do is delegate all the illegal activity to a private contractor and you're in the clear. And nobody can do a damn thing about it. It's sick, man. It's really, really absolutely disgusting. Now <clears throat> somebody uh somebody sent this to me on Telegram. So um Carrie Lake Part of the relief that she's seeking is she wants a a complete and total um, audit of the ballot affidavit signatures, right? Which she wants before, whoops, which she wants before trial. She wants to have an audit before the trial. Well, she actually added, she actually added a motion, and she requested that she be able to pick an independent contractor to look at some ballots, physical paper ballots. Okay. And the judge actually ordered approved Carrie Lake's petition to inspect ballots. However, there's one little important provision here. So again, the judge ordered that um, Maricopa County has to provide well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading this, and for some reason I can't pull it up, so sorry about that. But the judge is approving Carrie Lake's request for an inspection of the ballots. However, this is pending the motion to dismiss. So, if the judge decides to dismiss the lawsuit, then this goes out the window. If he allows the lawsuit to go forward, then... Carrie Lake will be allowed to ex- inspect some ballots. So we're going to have to wait and see if Carrie Lake's lawsuit gets dismissed. But if it doesn't, then she's already been granted some relief that she sought. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys say, awesome, awesome. Carrie Lake's going to be able to inspect ballots. However, she's only requested to inspect 50 election day ballots, and 50 mail-in ballots. It's a very small sample size. Um, And so here's what the judge ordered. All right? The judge ordered that the Maricopa County defendants provide to the clerk of the court the name and contact information of their preferred ballot inspector by 12 p.m. on Friday, December 15th. So the county defendants, meaning Maricopa County, gets to tell the judge who they want to inspect these ballots. <laughs> All right. It is further ordered that the Maricopa County defendants provide to the court the name of a proposed inspector for the court 
to name as its representative pursuant to uh, the ARS, blah, 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 by Friday, December 15th, 2022. So essentially, it, it, it sounds like the county gets to pick the person or the, or the group inspecting the ballots. And that's not a good thing. So we have a very small sample size of 50 ballots, uh, 50 mail-in and 50 election day. And the judge is asking the county to pick the independent contractor. Uh, so, yeah, I don't want to hype this up too much. I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting too much out of that. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I am very sick. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I've been holding back a cough this whole time. I said I was going to take the day off. But then we had a we had a hearing, and of course, Nick Moseeder don't take no breaks, baby. <laughs> you know, I'm, I you know I'll just I'll just not cough on you guys. I'll just not cough on you guys, but I do need to rest. So I'm definitely going to take the rest of the day. Definitely going to take tomorrow, and we'll see how I feel Sunday. But I do not feel too good right now. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to smash the rumble button. Also, make sure to subscribe to this channel. And guys, you know, I just checked this morning. It's still not too late too late to go to MyPillow.com. Enter promo code Nick and have your gifts before Christmas Day. I tell you what. And, uh, you know, the, that would be awesome. But, um, you know, if you guys really want to, you know, support this channel, um, the best way to do that would be to go to NickMoseeder.Locals.com and become a supporter over there where you'll also get access to extra content, exclusive content. You know, at least one video, one live stream a week, and shucks. I mean, that's that's the, for the price of a cup of coffee. Get some more Nick Mo Cedar action. Ah, come on. You know, it's a, <laughs> what, a, what a deal. What a deal. I might, might even throw a, a <laughs> I might even throw a Trump trading card in there. Ah, I don't want to talk about those things anymore. I love Trump, and I love Trump trading cards. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching, and I will see you next time. And, oh, and tune in, uh, tune in because I'm sure we'll get that decision from the judge here soon, and I will post it to either Telegram. Uh, shoot, I'm, I say I'm done for the day, but I might even make a damn second video, knowing me. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching, and I will see you next time. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new ebooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now.
Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.